Welcome to the Blooming League of Original Podcast. G'day and welcome to an extra sparkling diamond edition of Thrush and Treasure, the Torture Chamber musical comedy podcast that had tickets to the Rolling Stones concert, but caught a Sandra D movie instead. And speaking of Cortisan, I'm Aaron, and I also take PayPal, and I'm joined as usual by the man who proves that absinthe makes the heart grow fonder, so put your beer goggles on for Matt the Quizmaster. Oh, <laughs> oh no, I, I'm not Matt. No, you're not Matt, you're a Sabi Goodman. <laughs> yes, hi. Welcome back to the show. How's it going? Thank you. I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me. Sorry, Matt. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, for listeners, if you listened to last week's episode, I introduced Asabi, but Matt was sitting there. That's because Asabi was meant to be on the episode with Adam Zwa. And Matt was meant to be on this week's episode. Things got changed and moved around. Scheduling. Um, yeah, Matt's in Fiji, so that's why he couldn't be here this week. He is very lucky. Goodness gracious, mate. He's put Fiji on our ratings map, so I do appreciate that. <laughs> It all happens, so here we are. You're on this episode now. So how are Yay, you going? Hello. I'm doing really well. How are you? I'm tired, as always. Yeah. Tired yeah. and beaten by life. Uh, but it happens. Oh, yeah. Now, got a very exciting show today, because obviously you are new to the uh, the the national scene, let's just say the the well, national mm. fame, if you will, and, and in the industry here in Australia. So you're still getting to know a lot of our legends and icons and stuff like that. That's right. So we've got you on today for somebody who you saw recently in Moulin Rouge the Musical. Yes. And two people I saw recently in Moulin Rouge the Musical now playing in Melbourne. Yay. Yay. <laughs> but did you enjoy it? I loved it, actually. So I have a few friends who are in Moulin Rouge, uh, Patrice Tapaki, yep. who plays the Satine alternate, and she performs on Tuesday. Okay. Yep. So I went to see it on a Tuesday so I could see her perform. Mm -hmm. And then a good friend, Morgan Palmer from Hairspray, is also in the cast, and Brie Tapaki, who's the co-dance captain. And I worked with Brie and Patrice when we did Once on This Island up in Brisbane. Uh -huh, that's, that's how right. I know them. That's how I remember Matt yeah. saying so. Now, did you do that play school test that I sent you? I was very, very excited because I got Queen Benita. And on the description, it says because she is sassy and confident. And that feels correct. I got Monica. Oh, Monica Trapica. So hell yeah, you got Monica. Yeah. You both got creative personalities and love to express yourself through your clothes and the art you create. Your friends would describe you as a badass because you're not afraid to challenge yourself. Me right now. <laughs> wow. Cool. I'll have to go and watch some old play school. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's wonderful. It's like it's dorky because it's for children, but it's yeah. Like all of our great performers have gone through there. Yep. Guess what? What? We have two returning legendary divas rolling in the deep, crazy brick house again. But watch out, you might get what you're after. So ride with me when love lifts us up where we belong at such great heights with these oh so fresh, so clean children of the revolution who don't speak, they just play the game like heroes. No joke, their hips don't lie, as this duo of diamonds are forever performing with joyous freedom and pride in the name of love for theatre 
and the truth is, it is beautiful. So shut up and let's dance while you raise your glass. And if it's in your nature, boy, throw some rocks and a huge French heya, along with some sympathy for these devilish royals who spin me right round like a ladle marmalade. Because I can, can, can't help falling in love with money. Shit, no, sorry. Can't help falling in love with everlasting money. So all you emotionally distant bears and single ladies put a key ring on it and unlock the chamber doors while we are young enough for some tainted love and toxic fidelity with the only girl who can take on me, a material girl. And although diamonds are a girl's best friend, when it come what may to my loving, you're never going to get it because it's now a firework in the rain, wet with excitement as we suddenly make things weird. So give me shelter where there's a bear in there and a chandelier as well. Yes, these are people with names and they have stories to tell. So let's make like a virgin and open wide, come ill, inside ill, because sweet dreams are made of bad romance. But if love hurts, then I want to dance with somebody who knows that love is a battlefield where you can't always get what you want. But what's love got to do? with it when you're torn between your song and these two spectacular spectacular fully sigma filers so i would always love you always forever to give a round of applause with an ao bert labonte and simon burke ao welcome Ooh, back to the yeah. torture chamber how's it going goodness gracious me wow. thanks very much for having us see you later that's, that's all the time we have for that's all the time we have aaron are you sure you didn't write the show are you sure you didn't write moulin rouge i was thinking of should i do your work or should i go all out and appease the production company who have been so good to lend you to us today and i thought no i better kiss their asses basically so yes i'm glad you like it <laughs> and we need a bit of silliness if anyone wants to hear your careers go and listen to your first episode that's right no one wants to hear our careers yeah i listen to birds every night he listens to mine every night we bore each other's i know it's boring we just we just yeah we just yeah. cry in each other's dressing rooms telling each other how <laughs> good we used to be <laughs> well, I tell you what, you have done more shows than some of the people on these reality shows having IQ points. Yes, but how are you guys going? Great. Really good. Now, Bert recently joined the cast of Moulin Rouge, the musical in Melbourne for its encore season. Once the train to Montmartre sets off, is it hard to sit down? Yeah, it is. It's one of those shows where you just jump on and you've just got, you just keep going until, uh, until she stops. But it runs at a really cracking pace, doesn't it? So, mm-hmm. so it's like once you're on and before you know it, we're bound. <laughs> It's kind of, we're knackered and we're bowing, so it's good. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think Bert and I were talking about it last night about, I mean, it's a, it's a conversation you, you come back to so many times with the cast of how much energy is required to deliver such an energetic show to kind of give the audience, I mean, the audience comes to expect, they come with an expectation, which, which it's our job to kind of shock that expectation because I think so many people come to the show thinking they're going to see the movie on stage. And it is that, but it's that time sort of 4,000. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, as Bert said, you you start at 150, 150%, 200%, and you just keep going, and then it's over, and then you, then you fall into a heap. But it's endlessly um, satisfying. And i got to say, since... Um, since uh, Mr. Labonte's joined the cast, it's even it's even more fun because uh, it's just it's, it's so fun. I mean, I'm such a fan, and uh, we haven't actually we've done a concert version of a show together, but never actually in on stage. We've done nothing else together. No. Yeah, so it's it's uh, it's a real treat. For oh, me. wonderful and for you. <laughs> it's an absolute joy. No, it really is. We were both talking because we both were ill for uh, I had a week off, and Simon had a couple of weeks off, and coming back to this show after just even a week off was like. <laughs> It was like I'd never performed in my life. It was such a, <laughs> such a jump back in because you got to start so hard and you, you don't realise how hard having one week off is, let alone, you know, taking more time off or coming to this show cold, which I did after these guys have been doing it for, for a couple of years and I came in. I was like, this is 
It's just real. This is for real. It's cooked, isn't it? It really is cooked. Yeah, I haven't done a show this energetic for a long time, so <laughs> it's great. It's been a joy to, to join. Especially as we're getting towards a certain age. Well, I, I, I am at a certain age, Burton. You're getting... I'm you're just late. about there, mate. <laughs> just about there. But it's been a joy. It's great. Did you enjoy it, Aaron, when you came on opening night? The heart was just boom, boom, boom the whole time because it was so exciting. It was so eye-popping. It was unlike anything I, I had seen before definitely simon you blew me away goodness gracious me i had grown up as i said on this show was like two years old when you started on play school you taught me how to read and then i'm sitting there and i'm after having met you and and chatted to you and i was absolutely blown away i thought you say expectations were shocked yes i was because there was not a single bloody video screen on that stage so I was wrapped with that. So that set, oh my goodness gracious me, I have never ever in my life been so astounded sitting there like a child. It really was like seeing my first musical all over again because the set was just so eye-popping. The performances were so heart-stopping. As I say, my heart was just boom, 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 in my chest that whole time. I'd never seen anything that loud either. And I've been to an ACDC concert. And but it is the fourth time I have seen you in a show and yet again it is such a privilege to watch you do your thing because you are a master craftsman at, at everything you do and that voice holy shit but like we started standing up and some guy sit down will ya <laughs> and I don't know if you noticed but the balcony on opening night recently we all sat down because of this guy screaming at us and I was like oh my god what are you doing but like everyone else sort of on the other side of the balcony was standing up but was just phenomenal and I it was my first opening night been doing this for 27 years wow I made a film at 15 that I raised the budget myself. I auditioned hundreds of people for it. I got, you know, the crew together. We all got the locations, the costumes. We had a a theatre that we used as a soundstage. That was at 15. And at 17, I ran a film festival. I'd been published in a Buffy comic by Joss Whedon. I've got my plays in 4,000 classrooms around the world. Not once did I ever earn money from any of this, really. Not money to get by, but also never did I feel like I counted until I got that email saying that you guys want me there at opening night to to dress up and all that. And I'm going to get emotional now because it, it just meant a lot. It really, really did because it felt like this is all paying off. All this hard work, these hours and hours and hours that myself and my co-host Spencer and, and my other co-hosts are putting into this show is paying off because we're being seen we're finally being seen and and the fact that you guys want to come back after the week i've just had i'm gonna get emotional so yes loved it thank you well it's really lovely that you came to the show and and we're really happy to be here yeah absolutely man. there truly is something special about attending your first opening night so i i know exactly when, when you do get that validation i didn't call my agent because I was an influencer and say, hey, can I get a ticket to the hottest ticket in town? Uh, Peach and Pineapple, the, those amazing ladies that work there saw what I do and appreciated what I do and want to be there. So that, That's great. You know, we, we saw everyone lining up. We were like, we have no idea who these people are lining up for their photos. So we're just going to walk through. 
just humbly walk through and, and avoid all the cameras. But Oh, you was... didn't do the red carpet. Come on, Aaron. Next time you've got to do the red carpet. Got to get the photo. If there was someone who has been on this show here, I could have clung to their arm and be like, please just guide me through this because they would understand. They'd know what I'm like. But yeah, no, we were a little bit intimidated. And plus, we didn't, I had no idea who they were. <laughs> all these people for the chest. No, it was... Well, that's it's, it's an interesting point, Aaron. You know, like it, at opening nights these days, or you know, certainly in the last um, couple of years, um, maybe since... Um, it's not just critics and sort of uh, it's it's the influences that come now too that, that they're invited, yeah. which mm-hmm. is extraordinary. And to, to think that it's such a massive thing now that um, an influencer giving you a, a good crit is is you know, just as if not more important than than the age of the Australian on City Morning Herald. That's it, yeah. They got more followers. Blows my mind. I know. Look, some of the people that we have on our show that I think you've been in this industry for fifty years. How do you have? 20,000 followers compared to their million followers. I'm like, what is going on there? What is going on there? Like, why are the fans following other fans? I don't get it. Anyways, let's not get me started on that one. Because they're pretty. (laughs) They're paid for. (laughs) They're not real. That's right. That's right. They email people and say, oh, can we we have free shit? Yeah. We want to test your stuff out. And, and, And it's like, grow up. And it took you know how many years it took me to get like this jacket was $300. I'm 38 and it took me this long to get something that expensive because I was invited to it. That means something to me. Oh, but underneath that, I had this waistcoat on that is so ripped at the back. <laughs> but here I am at this classy red carpet event and I had to make sure no one, I didn't take my jacket off. But anyways, we're going to move on. Uh, I did have a question about slipping on the stage in sweat because goodness gracious me, but let's presume that you all are slipping on that stage every single night. Now, a question that we have started asking, I don't think I asked either of you last time, what would be in your craziest, most over-the-top rock star rider? Oh, nothing legal. Um... <laughs> good, good. That's perfect. I mean, I oh know, I suppose the alcohol would be legal. Uh, oh, the craziest rock star rider. Well, I don't know. It'd have to be, maybe I'd have like a hot tub as well. Like, I, don't know. I did a play a few years back at the MTC called Birdland. And I remember the, the final scene was I was the manager of, of the rock star in, in the play. And the designer had designed this room where there was like pool tables and table tennis tables and hot tubs and a bath and girls having showers. And it was like, it was food for days. It was all fake, but it was, it was in this, on this massive stage. And I was like, this is a proper, Rider. Apparently, Mariah Carey had like the the world's. She's meant to have the world's like sort of heaviest hit list of rider going around. You know, water water brought from Himalayan mountains and shit like that. Like a a, a chamber. What do they call it? The um, you know, the chamber you go into and, and sit in. What are they called? The um, oh, the um, isolation chamber. Iso chambers. Yeah, she had an iso has an iso chamber in between shows. Uh, Hyperbaric chamber or something. Hyperbaric chamber, something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's it. Yeah. Did you give that rider to Jamie Packer? <laughs> No, was it? Yeah, clearly not. No, you know, he didn't. He certainly hasn't seen a high value chain, but he could use one, though. That's a lot of pressure. Uh, and you, Simon? I think Bert's done it pretty well. Look, I, actually, I would say in this production in Melbourne of Moulin Rouge, when we were here the first time, I was introduced to my dresser, who's an incredible woman called Lorraine. And I have had some incredible people um, over the years dress me, but this woman is just like, she is like the most incredible person I've ever met and, and dressed. So I I actually did a little bit of a, th- you know, you don't get to take dresses on tour, but I, I actually got my agent to see if, if the company would tour her with us to Sydney and then Perth and Brisbane and, and now back to Melbourne. And they did. So I feel like I've got a rock star rider. You've got a rider. You've got, 
not your own dresser. Yeah. How good is that? Yeah. Because she she is um, so much fun and so awesome. And just one of those people that was, you know, it's it's this weird thing to say, but someone who actually thinks ahead knows what you're going to do wrong first. <laughs> like she knows when I'm going to not bring my fucking gloves on or so yeah, she's just awesome and, and fun too. So that's my writer. Yeah. She's brilliant. She's brilliant. Awesome. That's a, a great tip to have for those of us who are up and coming in the business. Take your dresser. Hundred <laughs> percent. Oh, I think you may. Need, I think you may need Simon's career before you actually get taken seriously about, yeah. about <laughs> taking your. I, I still couldn't even get my dresser taken. And I've been doing this for thirty. I'm like, ah, uh, yeah. Only Simon would get that. Like, I don't think that's a uh, that's a standard <laughs> practice. Well, Sabi, I don't want. I don't want you to go and ask your agent to bring your dresser with you, and then we go. Are you fucking kidding me, Sabi? <laughs> <laughs> on the other hand, Asabi, you don't ask, you don't get, right? I never thought I would get it. That's true. All they could say to me is no, so you know. <laughs> I think it's brilliant that you did it. I just would I would not I wouldn't feel like I was in a position to ask it. <laughs> um I'll tell yeah. you what the, the the one reason I did it is you know, you know, it sounds such a like a such a luxurious thing to have a dresser anyway, but you don't know what a good dresser is until you have a bad one. And I've only ever had one. And it wasn't the fact that they that they were not good at their job it was that it was the fact that they were really kind of yeah would say some stuff about people that they used to dress and i thought whoa, whoa really personal stuff thought, oh okay so um what are you going to say about me next yeah 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 and they'd have so much to say about you so it was probably <laughs> they certainly would but you got rid of them <laughs> so the difference is that bert you have the two letters between your first name and and the bonte whereas simon has the two letters after his full name <laughs> the ao there. oh so the that's AO. how that's the goal. It's only a matter of time you, before this. But yeah. but lay a o but lay a l m a o l m a o. I will too when it happens. <laughs> now I know that you guys are not necessarily metal listeners, but when was the last time you listened to a metal album? Uh, last night. Well, well, besides the one that we yeah, gave besides, you know, besides the one you were signed. Since you're on the show last. Uh, I, I can't say I've listened to a metal album. Oh, no, I lie. I listened to, I don't remember his name. That's the thing. I'm not very good with that sort of stuff. But the guy who did a version of, was it The Prayer? He's a metal singer from, I want to say, US. He did a version of The Prayer. Uh, so I looked him up and I listened to one of his, oh, I can't remember his name. I mean, I'd have to look it up again. It was just one of those deep feeds that went through. It was about a year ago. But really, it's not, metal's not really my bag but um i've got to say the album you sent through that guy's voice is insane yeah mm-hmm. like it's insane i can really i can hear him doing jesus or judas in, in superstar he's like i think it'd, it'd be an incredible take on on a role like that with a voice like that but i, I can't the, I think the last metal album i listened to was on your show previous the previous time i was on your show to be yeah. perfectly honest with you we haven't brainwashed you yet that's all right what about you simon uh 100 <laughs> everything bert said last metal album i listened to was uh, uh, yep. I, I, and I don't remember what it was. Well, I think I liked it though. What was it? You did. It was Joe Santorini's Surfing with the Aliens. Oh, I loved that. It was awesome. Yeah. And I like But it didn't it didn't light the fire for me. I mean, I, I don't listen to enough music anyway, let alone metal, but um Look, to be perfectly honest with you, I don't listen to any musical theatre either. Like I, oh, me either. <laughs> and like, it's all, I don't listen to musical theatre album recordings either. I think Hamilton might have been the last one I listened to before I listened to that recording of Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. I I'm the same. I, I'm I'm a total nerd. I listen to kind of you know 
podcasts of the Rachel Maddow show, you know, on MSNBC. <laughs> and, and that's about, um, but uh, I get the closest thing, I guess, I don't even know if it's metal, was, you know, watching Kiss at the grand final the other day. And um, yeah, that was okay, I guess. I much preferred the uh, Symphony X, I've got to say. Symphony X. Is Kiss heavy metal? No, are they rock and roll? I don't know. I don't know anything. Glam rock. Glam rock. Oh. Glam rock. 78 glam rock. Seven or 80 year old glam rock. Bert's a, a Carlton supporter. I'm an Essendon supporter. I'm sure he feels the same. We don't really want to hear about the grand final. If that's all right with anyone else in Australia, please stop. Oh, it was one of the best games I've ever seen in my life. Oh, uh, look, look, uh, it, didn't, it didn't bother me. I was, uh, we had a pretty decent season. I mean, as an Essendon supporter, you'd be crying because it was an awful season. Yes. But, um, yes, my heart breaks. <laughs> Well, as a Swan supporter, I was, I was, you know, I didn't have any skin in the game except yeah. everyone told me that they hated Collingwood. So I went for Collingwood and they won. So there you go. Uh, oh, well, <laughs> oh. just me. Should have said Brisbane people. Uh, anyways, anyways, it's not about football. Yeah. This week I picked Symphony X's Underworld. So before we discuss it as a group, Asabi. Yes. All right. New Jersey, long known as the home of the Sopranos, Jersey Shore, and the dumping grounds of New York City is no stranger to producing music icons. Think Springsteen and boy band Bon Jovi. And a metal boy band seems right up its alley. But don't be fooled. This hard-hitting ferric boy band is as metallic as they come. And their ninth studio album, Underworld, is a soft 24-karat offering, suitable for the unsuspecting layperson who may be choosing to forage into the genre for the first time. Still featuring the obligatory distorted guitar riffs and oompa-originated alternating snare and hi-hat beats so often associated with metal bands, the one thing that makes this band stand out is the fact that you can understand every single lyric sung. It's like someone told them to enunciate every word crisply and clearly, and lead singer Russell Allen throws out a truly melodic tune on every track. And like all boy bands, they're not adverse to the standard poppy love song, complete with a few hard riffs and harmonies thrown in for good measure. The music on Underworld is like a close cousin to Metallica's later crossover hits and is versatile enough to be used in a video game or car chase montage. As a matter of fact, it is so crossover that to diehard fans, it could be seen as selling out. I don't know, I could be overreaching. But for me, as a singer, this album was a delight to listen to. I give it a four out of five. Mm. Oh wow! No, that's that. I totally agree with that. Um, something like it's you know his his voice is just it's just incredible, and it, it is it is something that you do that you I, I understood every word as well. So which is not something you can say a lot about that genre. Metal heavy like sort of heavy metal. <laughs> it was more heavy rock for me than than it had metal feels to it. It had a metal vibe, like you know the double kick drums and stuff like that, and the really those heavy intros and things like that. But then it just got it kind of turned into rock opera at times, and there's a ballad in the middle that's got a bit of country about it. Like it sounds a little bit mm -hmm. sort of you know. Country and Western or, or whatever they call it now. It's not called Country and Western anymore. It's country and just country, I think. But his voice, that kind of soaring, he only did the kind of the death the death singing a couple of times, which was it was nice to hear him do that to the go. And then and then he'd come out of that and do these really clean vocals. I was like, holy shit. This guy's got a pretty incredible instrument. So um I, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. 
Well, I picked it because it was sort of basically a concept album on Orpheus in the Underworld. Oh, oh right. That makes sense. Moulin Rouge is obviously, for the listeners at home, uh, Moulin Rouge, the musical, loosely based on Orpheus. Oh, very good. And you're a DC? Eurydice. 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 Or Eurydice. Eurydice. It's Eurydice. That's what it <laughs> says. That's what I'm going to call her so we know what I'm talking about from now on. Otherwise, it's going to be Eurydice, which is what I want to call her. I love this. I thought, like, the Gregorian choir was atmospheric and it sort of, yeah, added, like, a medieval almost vibe to it or at least a Vikings or something or Orpheus and in the underworld. I thought Caron was good, but gave me the urge to speak to the manager. Wow. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) It had a bit of a boy band feel with their song Without You, which is the love song that's sort of in the middle or second or third track. Yeah. And it was just kind of like, oh, that's that's really sweet. It was very sweet. Yeah, I thought so too. Like you kind of get this vibe, okay, it's going to be this heavy, and then it all just kind of goes into very melodic tones and clear singing. But I thought that opening track, the overture, it's got like a Bond feel put in a, on a Bond soundtrack or a Bond, you know, supremacy soundtrack or something like that. It felt like it quite quite movie-like. It was still heavy, but it felt like mm. it could be a chase scene or a fight scene or something like that. It was, it was, um, yeah, it was, I thought it was pretty incredible. Yeah. yeah. You can tell um, Matt was meant to be on this episode because I, when I saw the band are from New Jersey, that's actually why I picked them because there's a few albums out there that are based on Orpheus and uh, metal. Mm. Is it Matt from Massachusetts? No, he was born in New Jersey, as I keep reminding him. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's no plain thing. <laughs> Bert was saying, one of the songs, um, Helen Back, was was something that he um that he really liked, and so I went back and listened to that, and it was it was incredible. Like it's it's long, and the, one of the lyrics is on and on and on and on, and then it says on and on and on and on. But you know, like in terms of like not just creating a world from the concept album, but like creating a kind of a journey and a and a story within a song, I think they really they really nailed that too. Interesting because you know we're comparing heavy metal and and, and musical theatre, and to me this particular version of heavy metal as opposed to the the actual uh, recording that you chose of the other uh, of the musical um is like way 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 more theatrical may way more kind of uh, visceral and and engaging than than the next thing we're going to talk about spoiler alert it is it's it's incredibly theatrical and i think that's why i got five stars because it hits so many beats you get ballads that aren't naff because that's the one thing about metal is you get a lot of naff ballads where they're trying to do the love song. This one came across really good. You've got this medieval, yeah, medieval, almost Viking feel to it. You've got the the unclean vocals, the rah 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 rahs. You've got the clean vocals that just soar. You got the with the drums. You got literally and the, the ripping guitars and or whatever. What do they do? Shredding, shredding. They do in guitars, but it never felt forced or regimental. It never felt like they were just ticking boxes. It felt like they did all that and more. Yeah. So I I thought this was probably one of the strongest metal albums we've done in what are we on now? Hundred and six episodes. I might even listen to another one before I come on again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's an open invitation. Simon, I love it when people come back because I get to do stupid things like that introduction just for <laughs> shits and giggles. Um, but yeah, so anyways, we'll we'll move on. Where is my segue to the where is my bloody segue? Oh no, I have a question for you. Oh no, Asabi has a question in the script, not me. Yeah, uh, yeah. 
<laughs> if you were to add one Symphony X song to Moulin Rouge, the musical, which one would it be? Yeah, one of these songs from oh. the album. Oh, that's good. That's a great question. Mm. I mean, look, it'd be obvious to say um, the ballad would, would fit in perfectly without you. Yep. It, I mean, it, it would actually fit in quite easily, I think. Mm. But we could add Helen back and you get a really great dance number out of that too. Like it would be... I feel like you could chuck that into the the medley where he the crazy rolling in the deep exactly. sort of medley. You know, yeah. point the point where he like, like he starts to lose his mind and, yeah. and he's hallucinating from the absinthe and he's just gone to the gun store and stuff. You could chuck Helen back in there easily, and I think it would fit, it would fit in brilliantly. Hundred percent. It'd be a really hard sing. I just don't know if you'd be able to do that eight shows a week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm with you, but I think that or you know, Darkest Hour, you know, Swan Song. Oh, Darkest Hour's great too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that would really really tie in well and like and if anyone could do it it's Justin Levine who is our you know who is the orchestrator and and is the person that 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 in the very beginning sort of pasted all those lyrics together and then mashed them up musically so brilliant I mean I still think that that his work in this show is is for me the in in a team of creatives that is just incredible I think his work is just unbelievable the way that he has and why it's so good is because you can be driving in the car and you'll, you'll hear another song coming from the radio and you'll be like, that could slot in here. You can put that in there now. That could go in there now. Because the, the show is is um, made in such a way that if you, this show kept rolling for another 20 years, you could just keep updating it with – you keep all the classics in it, but keep updating it with the latest hits and they would still – and songs would still fit. There are songs yeah. now I'm like, oh, wouldn't that be great in that moment right there? Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's a little bit more up to date. But – that takes a long, a lot of time to yeah. do, but that's the the beauty of the show. You can just keep updating it with the songs that are coming out <laughs> now that have relevant and and um, lyrics that would just slot straight into the storyline. It's quite oh. extraordinary. Which one were you thinking, Asabi? Uh, I was also thinking the love song without you. I thought that yeah, would yeah. be fantastic show. It's it's just brilliant. I I really liked this album, and I don't listen to metal music at all. And I kind of I was questioning like, is this actually metal? But um, yeah, yeah. It's brilliant. Yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah, I agree. I thought so too. Well, we want to hear you sing. We want to hear you sing the love song <laughs> at some point. <laughs> yes, at some point, I will. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, it looks like you're a dice, so you're gonna roll to an ad break. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> It's been a week. Let's give me a break, people. You're doing, you're doing great, Aaron. You're doing great, mate. You're doing great, mate. And and you know what? They're not as bad as Des's jokes. So oh, there you go. That's true. Des is 27 years old, and he is the king of the dad jokes. Oh, is he? They're shocking too. They're terrible. They're terrible. <laughs> he tells worse, but well, or, or it's arguably they're better dad jokes than me. I think the worse they are, the better they are. Okay? So he tells better dad jokes. Than me. <laughs> Coming soon to the Bloop Network from the producers of Thrash and Treasure, Around the World in 80 Plays, starring the adorable Lizzie B and Alfie Parker, and featuring the star of the show, Dolly the Dog, they'll take you for a trip around the UK, exploring the rich arts and cultural history of the UK and Ireland. Episodes begin airing exclusively to the Bloop Network on November 14th, but here is a sneak peek. Around the world in 80 plays. I am Lizzie B. And I'm Alfie Parker. 
and we are joined by our leading lady, co-host, travel buddy and fur baby, Dolly the Dog. For this week's very first episode, we're starting at Southend for five days on the first stop of the Sister Act UK tour. In this series, we're going to be exploring UK and Northern Ireland's wonderful arts history and culture as we make our way from city to city with Sister Act. But first, we should probably start off by telling our listeners a little bit about who we are. We thought it would be more fun to kind of do this through a little game. So last night when we were preparing for our first episode, we secretly went and wrote five questions to ask each other to find some random facts about each other that maybe we don't even know. We should probably say that we are a couple. We are engaged, uh, me and Alfie, what a lucky man. We've been together for five years now and are working together, which would be some people's idea of hell, but we love it and we're in a great show and we're very lucky. So yeah, we move around the country with each other and with the best dog ever, Dolly. But I think through these questions, we might actually find out some new information about each other. So, Alfie, do you want to ask the questions first? Let's do it. Here we go. Five? Yeah, five questions. Five questions. Here we go. Your favourite flavour of crisp? Do you know what? I'm going to say salt and vinegar because I would normally say like sour cream and chive, something like that. But... I'm really in a salt and vinegar phase at the moment. The ones that hurt your mouth. The ones that burn. Yeah, the ones that burn. That's what I like when I eat a crisp. Nice. Question two. What are two things on your bucket list? That is such a good question. My questions are rubbish compared to me. (laughs) I'm going to say skydiving, but I think you already knew that because I'm an absolute adrenaline junkie and I would love to do that and going to South America, which I think you already know as well. Alfie and I are very, (laughs) like, finance conscious, I would say, and we're actually really rubbish at treating ourselves. But I've decided that saving up to go to South America, not even with Alfie, but with my mum, is kind of the next big thing that I'd love to do. So that's probably, yeah, my main thing I would love to do. Okay. If your life was a song, what would it be called? Why are these questions so good? That's not the answer. My questions are going to be really disappointing after this. I think it would be called... This is going to be such a cheesy answer, right? Something like, I never thought I'd actually do it. No, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think it would be kind of referring to, like, I have achieved so much that I have always wanted to, but I never actually thought I'd get to do it. That's, yeah, it's nice. So. Hey, good answer. There we go. What does not belong on a pizza? Pineapple. You see, I disagree. <laughs> I mean, I've only, have, I only ever had it about twice. Pineapple on a pizza is great. The thing is, though, you know I'm not the biggest fan of, like, fruit with... In general. <laughs> no, that actual burn of it all, though. Fruit in general, you're actually saying me. No, fruit with, like, savoury foods. Like, I don't really do, like... You know how some people are really into, like, raisins and stuff? I just can't bear it. Yeah, yeah. So, pineapple, no, that's sacrilege. Right, was that your questions? I've got one more. Oh, God. Okay, here we go. What did you want to be when you grew up? Well, I feel like it changed quite a few times in my life. So, as a kid, definitely pop star was top of the list. But then I actually still have PTSD from this time when, at primary school, I was sitting with my friends and we were designing costumes we were going to wear to be pop stars. And then I drew a picture of me in a denim crop top and the girl 
sat next to me went, that's not a crop top, it's a bikini from Marks and Spencers and you can't wear it to be a pop star. And at the time it was like the meanest thing someone had ever said to me and I still have PTSD. So that was the day that that dream died. Then I feel like pop star was like top of the list, but I actually, in a sensible way, wanted to be a newsreader. So that's what I thought I would actually end up doing. And then becoming an actor was just... A mistake. (laughs) What have I done? (laughs) No, I'm like really happy, but I think I was trying to be like realistic, but now I'm actually doing the best job ever. Yeah, cool. So my questions are so rubbish compared to what you've just asked me. It's literally like a five-year-old's written them. Normally, I'm the rubbish one, so that's that makes. Alfie's making a really good impression in the first episode, and I'm just letting everyone. First impressions are important. You'll notice as we go on, I get progressively. Rubbish. Yeah, to be fair, the only way is up to me and the only way is down to me. That's fine. Right, here we go. We're back with Thresh and Treasure. I'm Aaron, that's Mama Asabi Goodman, and we're joined by returning guests Simon Burke, Australia's dad, and Bert Labonte, Australia's daddy. But before we move on to the musical, I love a good rhyme as much as I love a legendary duo. So if you guys were to tour Bert and Burke, a two-man cabaret performing songs from each other's work, which songs from your own show catalogues would you want to see each other perform? And which Moulin Rouge the musical song do you sing together? Oh, from catalogs. Mm-hmm. What would I want to perform with your song? I'd love to do your, your burster, the anything we did together, but geez, I loved you with that. Which one? Burr in um, Wild Party. Oh, yeah. That was so much fun. I wish we actually got to do... We did a, a, a workshop. It, it, was, it was a concert version of Andrew Lipper's Wild Party 16 years ago? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, we had the absolute pleasure of... Um, of Working with him. Being directed by Andrew Lipper. So he basically... It was done with piano, with him at the piano and us, us singing. There was... Myself, Bert, Sharon Miller, Chip, I think, was it? Um, Chelsea Gibb. Yeah, Chelsea Gibb. It's an um, it's an incredible show, isn't it? It's an incredible show. And and um, incredible. It was after you, man. Hang on, was Eddie part of that too? Eddie Perfect. Eddie, yeah, and I'm pretty sure he had a, he had a small little role in it, didn't he? Maybe he did. And now he now look at what he's doing. He's doing nothing, nothing with his life. Done nothing. Actually, I, I would, I, I'm with you. I would love to be in a production of that um, with Bert and hear him do what he did in that and do what I did in that. And yeah, it was, it, it, that was really special. It's an incredible score too. Like his, his particular score of that is so good. Yes. And what song do you want to do together in Moulin Rouge? So I'm not, what would you, what would we do? Oh, come what may, we'd be brilliant together. We, yeah. Oh, we're gorgeous together. Gorgeous. <laughs> I'd sing the, I'd sing the bottom line. Um, <laughs> I w- look, I, w- I wouldn't mind, um, you know, one of them, I, I have some nature boy you know way before moulin rouge and i just love the way you do it and so i i'd, I'd come in and do des's little uh oh little duet isn't it? duet yeah just just harmonize with you on that i've sung the hell out of nature boy i, I had a friend writer nat king cole show for me about 12 years ago wow and, and i toured that to a few venues it was produced by lisa Campbell. actually produced it oh and richard carroll they, they produced it for me uh ross Mueller is a was the writer and we wrote this kind of like a rolling poetry in between the songs and we did like a catalogue of Nat Nat's shows and I, I became Nat in the show and then in between would, would narrate his life but the narration was like it, it was almost prose it was a bit different to what you'd normally get and we started the Adelaide Cabaret Festival that was the first place we did it we did a sold out season at the Adelaide Cabaret Festival and I, I mean I'll bring it back one day 
but then I did a morning. Then I did morning mels of of that that work. <laughs> did morning mels, and so it's been it's been a favourite song of mine for years because my dad used to play that record all the time when we were kids. So it was kind of like in the house. So he's he's a big influence on on me, yeah, along with a bunch of others. So it's good. Oh, wonderful! I know what I want to do. I was I want to see class with the Sabi. Yeah. Yes. Oh. I cannot wait to see you do that. It's so exciting. I can't either. Congratulations, by the way. That's just brilliant. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. I'm, I only have two numbers in that show. And I mean, everyone knows when you're good to mama, but class is the one that was deleted from the film. Mm-hmm. And it's just oh, so beautiful. Yeah. I, mm, I can't wait to do it. Yeah. One of my favorite music theater songs ever is that. I just think there's something about because it's so, got so much heart and it's so funny and it's so kind of wicked, but it's just so real and truthful and i played billy about my god nearly 20 years well more than 20 years ago was it yeah yeah and, and I, I i i think it's probably dare i say maybe my favorite musical i've ever been you're just gonna have you're gonna have the time of your life it's such a great show yeah yeah no i'm very excited and such a great cast as well so it's an incredible cast except for lucy and zoe everyone's really good <laughs> yeah <laughs> No, I adore those two. And Anthony Dreadful and Anthony Waller. I was Anthony Waller's best man, so you must say hello to him for me. Oh, were you really? Yeah. I heard about that. (laughs) (laughs) He's a cheeky bugger. Yeah, he is. He's great. I'm so excited to see it. Um, we're going to move on because we're running out of time now. Sorry, people. Of course, Andrew Lipper is a friend of the show, so I might just have to get on his back about getting this production <laughs> of The Wild Party in Australia with you three in it. Asabi would probably be the only one of age to get cast right now. I think we're probably... <laughs> we, we may have run our race. We might have to do um, that at the morning melodies too, but... <laughs> Now that's nonsense. <laughs> Antonio Banderas just played Bobby in Company at 61 years old. Where? In Argentina? Wow. Oh, that's being alive. That's being alive. Wow. Somewhere. Wow, that's incredible. That is. I didn't know his son. I actually didn't know his Where, son. Whereabouts, Aaron? I think it is Mexico. He also did a chorus line with them. He directed it as well. Like he's been doing a lot of theatre. Oh, a passion, a passion project. The cast recordings are on Spotify. So if you type in Antonio Banderas, you'll find like company and a chorus line of the two of the first ones along with Evita. Oh, right. I was like, maybe that's the only way you get to do the other shows. If Broadway won't have you, just go home and produce it, direct it, yeah. <laughs> star in it. Old school. Why not? Yeah, absolutely. We are going to move on to the musical now. And this week, I chose something with the slightest of Moulin Rouge connections. Gentlemen prefer blondes. So before we chat about that, I reviewed it this week. So would we like to hear whatever ridiculous nonsense I've come up with? Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Bugger. Damn it, I thought I could get out of it. All right, when we first decided gentlemen prefer blondes, I disagreed because Aaron prefers naps. So I yawned and pressed play and was met with Spencer's Delight, a five-minute overture. But by the third minute, I thought it was high time for track two. And luckily, my wish was granted. Bye Bye Baby feels like it should be the finale, but also feels like the third or fourth show tune lately with that title. This track is a cute, sweet, if competent ditty that my 74-year-old mum would no doubt love, or even Spencer. Things get chipper with the little girl from Little Rock. Yet another cute, sweet, competent tune. As I love what I'm doing started, I agree, but I have no idea what they're doing. Just a Kiss Apart continued the running theme of cute, sweet competence, and whilst Shozo is good, I hear she's great in Sunset Boulevard. It's delightful down in Chile as the music finally raises an eyebrow with what is no doubt a crowd pleaser within this show. But what of the show? 
Just like with many older musicals, the songs here are mere moments or thoughts and not bursting with exposition, apart from the dance numbers, of course, like Pas de Deux, which being single, Les Dudes de Pas. And whilst the rest of these 70-plus-year-old songs seem to fall into the cute, sweet and competent category, I do fear the show as a whole itself, even Carol Channing's iconic Broadway performances in this and its rewrite Lorelei, have been overshadowed to the point of no return by Queen Marilyn's legendary film performance of Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend, as evidenced here by the casting of Meg Hilty, who is a smash as the bombshell, the timing of this Encore concert, with Smash and their bombshell on TV only a year before, plus the fact that we get two Encores of Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend as if it were Sweet Caroline. And that's without mentioning that timeless William Travilla dress, which has had homage paid by every queen from Madonna to friend of the show, Miss Peppermint. But overall, there are much stronger shows with five, six, seven and a half tracks that stand out. Example, the Pajama Game, which produced a number of hits. Here, they needed to sing that one hit three times to keep people smiling. So for me, it's one star with two encores. The songs are poorly written. They're well written. They're, you know, well structured and put together and orchestrated. They, they just never go beyond competence, in my opinion. Apart from that one song, which, as I say, you immediately have a visual. You immediately have something to connect to. So is that a good song or is that... Marilyn, I don't know. Like it's that's it confused me all week. Let's just say so. It just doesn't do it for me. This it's a lovely listen. Like it's a lovely listen, but it's not. It doesn't invoke anything. There's nothing inspirational about it, or nothing aspirational about it. It's just kind of. It doesn't make me feel like I'm falling in love or I'm, I'm yearning. It's just like oh yeah, this is. It's nice. It it feels a bit nice, and it feels very very dated now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not not dated in a way where it's like it's by no means I, I didn't find any of it offensive or some people may but I didn't find any of it offensive in any way. I just because it was like, was like why, <laughs> why maybe back then, but why now? Why would we do it unless you're gonna mess it up a bit and do something fun with it? I don't I don't see the point now. I I get the whole argument of doing some classics. There were some musicals that yeah that are classics that that still stand up as far as the storytelling and, and what it is about, whether it's about family or something like that, where it really still has a, a big depth charge to it. But this isn't one of them, I don't think. No, maybe if Aaron Sorkin gets his hands on it. Sorry, he re- <laughs> rewrote Camelot recently. He took the songs, put them aside, and rewrote the whole book around the song. So, Oh, right. But I don't wow. know if there's anything saving that with these. They tried that with Lorelei. They rewrote it, and they added new songs in Compton and Green joined up, and Lorelei got only slightly better, I guess, response than this one. So it didn't really yeah, right. raise it above anything else other than cute, sweet, and competent, in my opinion. What were your thoughts, Wasabi? I just, you know, I said I felt it was upbeat, silly, energetic, a bit cliche. And like you said, it is. it feels dated. You know, the story, hillbilly girl meets wealthy boy, does something wrong, doesn't want him to find out. There's a lot of miscommunication. Then she does something stupid, then he does something something stupid and then oh no we actually love each other but oh your dad doesn't love me because i'm a hick and then she wears his buttons and daddy loves her all of a sudden yay yeah. disney happy ending yeah 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 <laughs> it, was, uh, 
what, what did you think, Simon? Are you a fan of this? Well, look, I, I, I don't object to the musical so much as the endeavour of this cast recording. Yeah. Which to me is like an ex... And it happens a lot, like... Like you'll you'll get like I remember being in that Jerry Zach's production of um, Anything Goes, which came to Australia and playing Billy and that, and it was just this kind of souped up version where they got other Cole Porter songs and brought it in and and made it a fun a fun kind of show. And then a year later, they did this very very clinical, true, authentic uh, recording of Anything Goes with Kim Criswell playing it, and where they go through every single song and every single and so. It's almost like this album of Gentlemen Prefer and Blondes is just like starting with the score and doing it faithfully from beginning to end and getting incredible singers. I mean, Megan mm. Hilty's amazing, but I did. But then all these tenors who sing absolutely beautifully with no kind of wit or or kind of uh, heart, and I was just like, nah. You know, it's it's sort of like. It's a curio. I think. I, I think. I'd like to see. I think a production of you know. You, you give um, anything. John uh, McPhail bronze to like a Jamie Lloyd or an Alex Timbers or something. Oh, you'd get something. It'd go. It'd go nuts. And you'd and you'd say something about today. You'd say something about the inappropriate things that happen in the show. And there's a way of doing it, but it's just boring listening to, listening to that. As far as I was concerned. Yeah. Yeah. I give it a one star. No, I, I can <laughs> totally say that. The, the recording we did was the Encores 2012 recording. Now Encores for our listeners at home, they tend to do sort of forgotten shows if you will, that have scores that are underappreciated or whatnot. And we sort of have that, we had that, oh, sadly, we had that in Australia or in Melbourne with the production company, but they are no longer with us anymore. Mm. Yeah, I don't think this score lives up to a lot of the other shows that they do with encores. Like Chicago came from encores. That production is still running today, 27 years later, because it was so massively successful in that encores run. So mm. oh, it was such a cute idea to have um, Megan Hilty, you know, who played the kind of Marilyn figure in Smash. In Smash, yeah. yeah. Um, and is such an, has such an incredible voice and is such a great actor. But they just, they didn't, they didn't use that. They no. didn't use... They didn't even use. They you don't hear. You don't hear any of this kind of Marilyn esque stuff no, in her performance sort of, and that, which yeah. you kind of you you're begging for, aren't you? Yeah. One thing about that, <laughs> I shouldn't even probably admit this. I have only ever done drag once in my entire life, and it was at, at a mate's fortieth birthday party. Yeah. And I did. <laughs> me and, a, and another friend of mine did um, two little girls from Little Rock. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, no, and the guy was from Ballarat, so it was we're just two little girls from Ballarat. Oh, well, it was pretty good. That's the Bogan version. So I, I have a fondness for the, for the an, 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 an interesting fondness for the show. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with the show. It's just it, it was just like you said, Simon. It felt like a, a bit of a box ticker the way they did it, and it was mm. so it had no edge, edge to it at all. It was very very smooth and clean to the point where it just lacks any kind of heart or well it may not be that way when you're watching it but certainly when you're listening to it it's got no you know and that's what music's supposed to do it's supposed to move you or make yeah. you you feel not just go well that's nice <laughs> like that's i don't think that's the objective so yeah. i did have another experience of the show which is when i was a very young young performer um, my partner was in this company called the new moon theater company in far north queensland it was wow. his first year out of nida and um so i went and just hung and it was like just like a you know just hung with them for like four weeks because they toured from from cairns to rockhampton townsville Mackay. and so i saw their production of little of uh of of gentlemen for blondes with you know really great actors at the start 
part of it. And it was an absolute riot. Like it was, I mean, it's a long time ago, but it was beautiful. Um, so I think it's a show that probably is much, much more fun to watch than to listen to because the music ain't that good. Yeah. Listen to, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah. But the movie itself, like I saw it when I was younger, that's iconic. It's beloved. Again, it's Marilyn. Mm-hmm. And I think it was the timing yeah. of having her, uh, of Megan Hilton or Meg Hilton, Hilty in Smash doing the whole, uh, I think she played Karen or she played the other one. I know Spencer will pop up with a chat telling me which one she played any minute now. I think it was Karen. But anyways, um, it was the timing of that and cashing on that because we all wanted a bombshell musical and we still want a bombshell musical, but instead we're getting Smash. Oh, she played Ivy. So yeah. I thought you'd, you'd correct yeah. me. Um, yeah, that was... It it was uh, we want bombshell we don't want smash we want bombshell people anyways mm. now a question for all three of you because you are all world-class performers so what is one thing in life that everyone else can do perfectly but you fail miserably at because for me it is cooking without injuring myself and that everyone can do perfectly yep that you just can seem to fail at but you can go on stage and blow us all away but then you step off and you like try to tie up your shoelaces and suddenly you're flat on your face i've got one thing yeah what is it i cannot work mixer taps in a yep. shower or a sink <laughs> i cannot work mixer taps i will put it put it put it i will be in an apartment and be there for four months and i would just never is it what is that h is that is that is that hot is that cold or what the fuck yeah. i hate mixer taps yeah sorry i'm just got a bit upset then no i love it no that's, uh, that's i'm gonna i know what i'm getting you for christmas <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can't open or send applications. I, I like if somebody sends me an application to fill in, like like an app, yeah, like a word document, and fill it and send it. It's simple. You open it, you fill it in. I open it and I I can't work out <laughs> how to fill it in. I've got to, it drives me. <laughs> I've got to call my wife every time. I click there, click there, download it there. Yeah, but then what? Then what? And how do I send it back? How do I, and then I finish doing that. And then how do I? How do I send it back? I write this shit down. Like it's. I'm. I just. I, it doesn't. It doesn't compute for me. Yeah. Com- literally compute. <laughs> Asabi has an engineering degree. Ah. Uh, I'm just gonna throw uh, that out there. Yeah. Yeah. Will you come fix my taps? <laughs> yeah. I will. I can fix your taps. I was a water process engineer, so yeah, I can fix oh, your taps. Oh wow! <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, I'm a bit nerdy. I'm a bit nerdy. Um, for me, it's keeping plants alive. I cannot do, like, I do not have a green thumb at all. I once sold a house in California and I bought rubber flowers to stick out in the flower bed to give it curb appeal. <laughs> the plants alive. That's really good. That's so <laughs> did, cool. anyone, did anyone notice when they were checking the house out with our rubber? No, nobody, no one could tell. I bought really good fake flowers and, wow. and I sold the house. That's really good. Yeah. But, and they look beautiful, but yeah, I can't keep plants alive. <laughs> That's so good. Oh, wonderful. I'm going to be asking more guests that question from now on because that was great. We'll move on. Well, gentlemen prefer blondes, but appears that the good man does not. So we're going to go to an ad break. Hey listeners, Aaron here. While you're topping up your coffees, did you know that you can support our show and go on a fantastically scary adventure at the same time? Go to www.thetonistontales.com 
bookstore.com forward slash bookstore to grab your copy of The Toniston Tales, a darkly funny Aussie trilogy about a young boy who rescues injured animals in his spare time and the roller coaster ride he's taken on by a literal fish out of water. Written by me, the village idiot of Thrash and Treasure, you'll come to love Toniston Turnbull and the dozens of wacky characters that he meets along the way. And here is a sneak peek. Landing with a thud that echoes throughout the whole cottage, Toniston instantly rips off the manky shoes gifted to him by Milford and tosses them into the corner behind a blue barrel. Without a second thought, the bully races down the hallway to the backmost room of the house and leaps behind his uncomfortable makeshift hay bed, then waits, and waits, and then waits some more, until finally, what seems like an eternity later, muffled growls start vibrating through the thin walls of Cubpaw's cottage. He tries to control his breathing, but his heart is racing way too fast. Toniston ducks down further. Nothing should be able to see him, but he can't be sure they won't smell him. The gruff growling grows louder. Toniston presses his ear against the cold, chipped, chalky wall. He thinks he can make out phrases like, Where is it? And, Give us the merge, though not much else. It's all too mumbled, and he's shaking too much. But it doesn't matter anymore. The front door of the cottage slams open with a harder, louder, cracking thud than it ever had before. A dozen or so stomping footsteps enter. The cottage shakes uncontrollably as if it is as terrified as our friend the bully is. Toniston panics. He's trapped in a corner with a slew of sharks on his trail. He makes a sudden rash decision. Ripping aside the thick animal hide curtain, Toniston leaps through the small oval-shaped window headfirst, landing on a crate filled with hay sitting outside it. Mustering every ounce of manliness he has not to react verbally as he lands with a crunch on the sharp, pin-like hay. It pierces his skin in several places, but thankfully, in his panicked state, the bully becomes numb to the pain. Counting his blessings, but not his chickens, Toniston struggles out of the crate by throwing his legs over and levering himself up, causing the coral underneath his feet to snap. He loses balance and tumbles. To describe the pain of tumbling face first down a steep hill of hard, sharp, deadly shaped coral would require far too many swear words than this author would be allowed to publish. So let's just say it hurt a lot. With one last somersault, Toniston's legs fly first over the cliff's edge. Crunch. His left hand grabs hold of the outmost jagged knob of coral. The stocky body of the ten-year-old child sways rapidly back and forth like some sort of death-defying pendulum. He gasps for air, or from shock, not even Toniston can tell. All he knows is above him, a deadly coral cliff and deadlier sharks. Below him, larger, sharper coral under a sea of giant, sharp spikes of natural metal. His head throbbing and vision too blurred with bright red splotches to be able to see clearly for too long. His face is dripping with blood. It runs down his shirt front, tickling him in the process. But all he can do is swing there. It's moments like these that a boy really needs his mum. Unfortunately, while Toniston's life hangs in the balance, on earth his life was dishonestly being celebrated by all at Gumbaya Primary School after news of the bully's disappearance had spread like wildfire through the tiny town, then onto the music industry before eventually reaching the wider world. 
Rock music fans, specifically those of Muzzletop, had flocked to the outskirts of Melbourne, leaving wreaths, band posters, and hand-drawn tributes to honour the missing son of their favourite singer. Although none of them knew the boy, many had seen him standing on the side of the stage of the band's concerts alongside Tina. Also, at the time of his disappearance, hundreds of the world's entertainment media lined the streets outside the school and sadly, outside Tina's house. Wanting any word they could get their greasy hands on, the gossip came in thick and fast as snide, bored neighbours took it upon themselves to speculate and make up stories for their five minutes of fame. Inside the house, the phone ringing 10, 15 times a day from nosy TV stations, hounding the poor, terrified mother, there was no escape. And whilst Tina was never polite in her declination, still they persisted. Call me again and I'll punch you in the nose! she promised. The school's principal, Mr. Patterson, had himself realised how cold and nasty it would look if Toniston Turnbull's former victims didn't at least pretend to mourn his disappearance. And thus, with an added paranoia of becoming a suspect, Mr. Patterson set out to overcompensate with memorials and dedications to the boy who touched all our lives with his love of animals. Mr. Patterson felt satisfied his school's image was intact. The largest memorial from the school came in the form of a service in the gymnasium. With every student, teacher, news reporter and local police in attendance, Mr. Patterson sought to show the world just how much Toniston had meant to the school. The service would have made the bully puke. From the awful school choir butchering his least favourite songs, to the obnoxious releasing of the white doves, Mr. Patterson may have been satisfied his memorial service paid tribute, but Toniston is far too cynical for that. And yet, whilst hundreds of people sat on the cold plastic seats in the Gumbaya Primary School Auditorium, not one person in attendance truly knew Toniston when he was around. But all alone, in her large house, the animals all shunned outside, Tina Turnbull sits with her umpteenth glass of wine, ignoring the umpteenth phone call from friends, fans and family, but most sad of all, wondering, for the umpteenth time, what she could have said to her only child to have brought the two of them closer together. A now broken photo of Trent Turnbull and an infant Toniston only hours after his birth sits at her feet under the table. Tina simply doesn't care about the million tiny shards of glass cutting up her feet. She just wants her son back. And as if joined at the soul, while dangling from the lavender-coloured dead coral cliff face, somewhere in his head voice, Tina's cries are heard by the boy. His face scrunches up, but then it relaxes. I can do this. Grab your copy of The Toniston Tales from thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore today. Hooroo! Alright, we're back with Thrush and Treasure. I'm Aaron and I'm joined by extra special guest co-host Asabi Goodman. And we're joined by our favourite bohemians, Bert Labonte and Simon Burke, currently appearing in Moulin Rouge the Musical in Melbourne. Uh, anyways, now, Bert, when stepping into the role of Toulouse-Lautrec in Moulin Rouge, the musical, I didn't see Tim's portrayal myself. So were there any little nuances that you brought to the role to put your stamp on this very famous identity? Um, I wouldn't have said that they were little. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> ask the rest of the cast. Um, oh, look, I, I, I always came... Oh, 
to the role with the approach of, you know, it's been done beautifully before by two other actors. Tim Marge did it in Melbourne and Sydney. Did you do Sydney? Yeah. And then Jared Draper, who was the understudy, took over the role in Perth and Brisbane. And then I was invited to do it here in Melbourne for the return league. So I saw both of them do it, uh, which was great. I guess I was always just going to bring my own approach to to the role as much as you can with a show that's been running for this long. I wanted to be really aware of the fact that the cast had done it. A lot of whom are really dear friends of mine, you know, like Simon and Des and Alinta and Ryan. I've worked with all of them often before and I've known them all for a long time. So it was a really comfortable environment to step into particularly doing the scene work. But I, I just wanted to approach it with a, whatever you guys do and want to keep, I will just work around that. And then I'll just add my bits in around that that don't affect your show. And we all found that kind of balance and nuance together. And it is easy when there is, you don't have to do that whole process of getting to know each other. You can just look at somebody and say, hey, do you mind if we do this? And, and I'll go, yeah. Do you mind if you just leave the gap there between that line and that line so I can get this moment? I'm like, absolutely. And and then I was like, do you mind if I throw this? And they're like, no, change it all. So And and the creatives are wonderful. They gave me license to to bring my own sort of flair and flavour to it. And um, I think I have. And I think it's been an enjoyable experience for oh, – I'm not speaking of a half of them, but I think it's been enjoyable for them because when you're going on a show that long – I mean, I've only ever done one run that was two and a half years. It's nice to have something fresh come along and sort of – just spice that a bit for you, particularly when you've been doing it longer. And for me, it's yeah. still new and exciting. So it's uh, you know, I'm still still finding stuff and still actually playing, which is great. So it's um, it's been a joy. It's been an absolute joy. Yeah, and I get to play with some incredible performers. So it's it's really wonderful. Oh, wonderful! Are you the little puppy that's running around all the old tired dogs that are just like, dude, we've been doing this for two years, man. Can you calm down <laughs> with the excitement already? Yeah, the old tired, <laughs> the old tired dogs, fifteen, twenty years younger than me. But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not so much for the tired. Not no, not so much for the old. The tired, yes, but none of you are old. None of you are old in that. Well, the old is right. Say, and I'm not saying this because I'm not saying this because uh, you know I, I feel like I should. But this, I can't. I am actually blown away at how off stage or backstage people are kind of sitting down, quite relaxed and chill. But when they hit the stage, this cast are uh, unbelievable. There's no hiding in this show either. You've got to hit it every night. You can't kind of rock up and do an eighty percent show. It's just got to be on. It's amazing. Yeah, like this this cast are still really invested and care about their product. And I think that comes from the top down, you know, which is a special thing to be a part of. It's great. Yeah, it's been for us, it's been, you know, magnificent and exciting and, you know, a totally new um, energy that Bert brings. Plus, I guess also like the fact that Bert has, is an actor in non-musical theatre like myself as much as in, in musicals. So you kind of have a shorthand, especially, you know, and, and talking about like when you've been around for a while and you know each other for a while, that, that kind of ability just as kind of technicians, which is really what I reckon we do. We're not, I mean, sure, there's art to it, but we're te- te- technicians, when one technician can say to another technician, hey, mate, you know, can we just do that, boom, 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 and you just sort it and it's fine. And and then you just watch, get, then you get to sit back and, and, and watch, you know, his craft and, and how great it is. And, you know, we've, you know, we were so excited that, uh, that he was coming in and, and it's fun. So much fun. I was excited too. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> Simon, the last time you were here, I asked you about reconciling the light with the dark with the clown pimp, Harold Zidler. Now, how has your approach grown and progressed in the past year or so? I think that's a really great question because I think that's what that's the thing that keeps it most fresh for me. 
is the character, um, certainly as, as I choose or try to play him, I like to experiment and keep experimenting with the extremes of him. So the stuff that is incredibly warm and welcoming and full of love to an audience and the stuff that is kind of quite vicious and, and selfish and pimpish and you know, kind of hateful, I like to exper experiment with the sort of masculine and feminine sides of him and to kind of be big and over the top in one sentence and at the end of that sentence to have another sentence where you're as real and as truthful as possible. There's not many characters that in which you can do that and, and still be true to the character, but I sort of change which times I do those and it's just a great space to play in because so much is it to the audience. It's, it's yeah. And you really do. Like every night, it's, I mean, I've only, I've only done 30 odd points now, but it's never the same. It's not like you, you go on and go, and this is the bit where Simon does this. It's just not that show for, you, you know, it's great to watch an artist do that. Like just go out and it's never to a point where it throws anybody on stage out of their uh, kilt, but it's within the realms of, I'm just going to keep playing with this character and see where I can push it to. It's it's fantastic. It's so great yeah. to watch, mate. Thank you, thank you. And, and, and you know, as you know, some some characters you would be not being true to it or the play if you're doing it. But this, you sort of are being true to it because he's hosting every night and he's there every night. And like, this is just another night at the Moulin Rouge, and so it's like, and it's a different a different bunch of people in every yeah. night. It's it's <laughs> great. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's so much fun. Oh, wonderful, Asabi. Bert, I have a question for you. First of all, my mate Catherine sends her love. Just want you to know that. Your mate Catherine? Yes, my mate Catherine. Yep, she's a huge fan. She loves you very much. Oh, cool. Okay. Oh, okay. I thought, yeah. I thought it was like, like a fellow actor or something. <laughs> no, no, no. Send back Catherine, my love. Yeah, yeah exactly. But uh, quick question for you. Are you disappointed that you don't get to sing any Luther Vandross or Marvin Gaye? Because we've all seen the famous video the very moulin rougey yeah um <laughs> yeah uh, that was a, that was a bit of fun that oh my i would sing luther vandross all day long if somebody put it in a show i think it, i think luther's got to be arguably one of the finest voices that everyone around and marvin i did a marvin gay show 10 years ago as well I, I was lucky enough to do that with jude pearl and then uh vicar bull so um yeah it'd be amazing it'd be amazing to do uh, some Lutheran. You could easily slot Luther into this show. Easily. There could be a Lutheran Janet duet in this, for sure. Oh, yeah. Never too much. You could stick that <laughs> right in. Never too much. Anywhere. Now, if you could all host a comedy roast for any Moulin Rouge the musical character, which one would you most like to read to filth? Oh, gosh. Who is the most roastable? It would have to be Santiago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'd go with that. Mainly for the actor. <laughs> 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 It'd just be fun to roast. Yeah, they need a bit of a roast, old Ryan. No comment. I don't know. I don't know. Uh... You mean the character? Yes. Oh, Christian. Yeah. Yes. He needs. He just like he just needs a kick in the shins. That's what yeah, kicking a whole bunch of places. And the roast would be called throwing Christian to the lions. That's exactly. That's it. All right, Simon. Yeah. The entertainment industry has evolved significantly over the years, as we know. How do you see the role of actors changing in the digital age, and how have you adapted yourself to these changes? I think we're seeing not my, myself personally, but we're seeing that play out at the moment with the SAG-AFTRA strike, and that's not just key for SAG-AFTRA members, but it's key for everyone around the world, all of us around the world, and that's why. You 
you know, it's so great that our union, of which you're the Queensland president, um, is standing strong with um, with SAG-AFTRA. And I guess the most important thing that that strike is about is about what the fuck is AI going to do to us and about how to get decent, fair contracts for performers around the world now that the streamers are the main producers. And, you know, I, I was involved with equity, as you know, for, for a very long time. I was president for, for 12 years and we had to confront some pretty pretty full-on stuff then but it's i think it's nothing compared to to what the leaders of our of our various guilds around the world are doing at the moment and and i just um put my faith and my trust and my gratitude in in all of them and you wasabi and it's true you know because technology exponentially so you you really have to stop it or not necessarily stop it but you have to catch it very quickly because the things that they're doing with AI now, it's kind of, it's impressive and astronomical with what they're able to do. It's both, yeah, it, absolutely. And I, I think the thing about it, it's both short-term and sort of bookkeeping, which is the which is the contract stuff. And then it's the existential stuff, which is AI, yeah. which is not just, in, not just in our industry, but in the world. You know, we've got to be on top of it. Who knows if we ever will be on top of it? You know, this conversation may not even be happening in five years. You know, I, mean, I feel quite bleak about it myself, but I, I think it's so timely that the, the Writers Guild strike happened and they got what they, they seem to have got most of what they wanted. And it looks like SAG after are going are gonna to get a fair way. I just hope that, that it's enough. Didn't people pay attention to Terminator? Anyways. Now, Bert, you're directing uh, Top Dog Underdog for MTC next year. What can you tell us, and who needs a hot date to opening night? Well, okay, an average at best date. For it's an Australian night. premiere. It is an Australian premiere. Um, it's a 20-year-old play. It had its 20th anniversary on Broadway ooh, last year, I want to say. Uh, I want to say it was Don Cheadle and Mo's death, was it? No, it was. Um, that was the, the original. I can't remember the, the twenty year anniversary. Twenty years ago, I wanted to do this play uh, in Australia, but we couldn't quite get the rights. And now here it comes back, and I've been asked to direct it, which is like an absolute gift. And I've cast uh, two young actors, uh, one of whom I've worked with before, played my son in Fences last year at the Sydney Theatre Company. He played my eldest son, so he's in his, he's in his um, late twenties, early thirties, uh, and another young actor who. I've kind of mentored over the last few years, Ray Samuel. It's a story about two brothers, but it's a story about sort of black identity and the struggle of black identity uh, in, in, a, in a society where you kind of, you're born up against it. How do you push your way through without falling back on the pitfalls that are you know, available to you at that sort of age and life when you've been raised kind of, kind of by yourself? But it's really, it's just a story about family and, and how you... You struggle together and sometimes butt heads and it's very funny. Like it's it's darkly funny, this play. It's a very dark comedy. Kind of all I can say without giving away plot and, and form, but it's um it's I, I I'm hoping to to produce a, a really exciting um piece of theatre and I've got some wonderful ideas. It, it's based around two brothers who play uh, three card Monty for a living. Uh, and one of them's given that up and he's trying to make a, a genuine living with a normal job. And the other brother wants to, to hustle on the streets still. And it's uh it's the, the clash of those cultures. So it's um but it's a it's an extraordinary place. Susan Laurie Parks wrote it and it's uh it, it won Tony Awards for a really good reason. The the, the script is an absolute belter of a script. So I'm pretty excited to, to get it up and running next year. Yeah. Awesome. I know Spencer loves it. Uh, Simon, what sort of career challenge are you after once the Moulin Rouge, the musical season closes, given how high octane and intricate this show is? Oh, 
that's a, that's a good... Or, that's, you, or do you just want to nap? <laughs> I think I'll probably have a big sleep. I haven't been overseas for a while, you know, to travel, maybe like five years. So I hadn't gone for a couple of years before COVID and then COVID happened and then Moulin Rouge happened. So I'm really thinking about um, just having a big break for three or four months. Um, there's something kind of interesting in the middle of the year, which, um, which I'm very excited about. Um, but... Yeah, it will be very, very hard to replicate a role which uh, gives me as much pleasure as this one. So I'm looking for it. Yeah, awesome. I'll have to write you one. Now, Savi, you got a, a question for Bert, which is a, a slightly deeper one. A little bit deeper. You were just talking about top dog, underdog. And so what are your thoughts on the role of storytelling and building empathy and understanding between people from different backgrounds and walks of life? And has that ever felt at odds or contradictory with your experiences as a person of color in the same industry that tells these stories? Uh, oh, that's a really good question. The short answer to that is yes, on occasion it has felt contradictory, particularly earlier in my career. But I kind of look at it like this. I mean, I am a little bit out of school, but I, I was, I now teach at the VCA as well. I was talking to a student who was telling me, uh, actually, this wasn't a VCA student, it was another student at a different school. And they were telling me that they don't want to take on roles or audition for roles unless they're specified as non-binary. And they, so they can, you know, they don't want to take on roles that are spe- specifically for non-binary characters because they're non-binary because then they just feel like they're getting cast as a non-binary person to tick a box. And, and my advice to them was, Take every single one of those roles if they give you those roles as a non-binary person. I said the only way you have a voice is to be in the room, um, mm-hmm. and and when you've built those tickets up, then you can start to use your voice for the greater good and, and to to push your cause. I, when I graduated in '95, I was the only black actor to graduate from seven universities that year. That year, seven schools and there was acting schools. I was the only black actor. Now I took every single black role they gave me because I was like, sure, yep. If there's no one else to do it, I, I hell yes, I'll do it. I'll do all of them. And it was a lot of American stuff being shot in Australia at the time. And I worked on my accent really hard and I made sure that I could complete those roles. And then I had a say, and then I could start to actually talk to directors about there were certain roles that were written and then they would change the name when I was cast. And I said, don't change the name. Don't change the name because you've cut. Just leave it as it is. Just cast me in the role. If you want me in the role, that's great. But don't change the name to make it feel like it's a person from another world. It's okay. They don't need to know, you know, and it's only when I had time in the space that I could start to make suggestions and have honest conversations with producers and directors about how we do this going forward. You know, we've made massive progress. I know people say it's there's still heaps to do. We're going to be saying there's still heaps to do in 100 years because there's always going to be heaps to do in every facet of every part of life. We're, we're never going to get it. It's never going to be complete this kind of a struggle between races and, and people of colour and, you know, migrants and backgrounds in any industry, let alone ours, it's always going to be there to a certain extent because we're never, ever going to all understand each other's cultures, no matter how hard we try. There's just too many people and too many things to, to learn for that to happen holistically. It's like world peace. It's a great idea. There's too much money in, in, in guns. People know that, you know what I mean? But we have to keep striving. It's not You don't give up because it's it's hard. In fact, you work even harder to make sure that more people get it and, and then you leave some kind of legacy where it's easier for the next generation. And I feel like that's where we're at right now. We're making it easier for the next generation. What I, what I fear the most is, though, that the next generation 
are coming through and the expectation is that it's already there and they're not prepared, mm-hmm. some of them, I'm not saying all, but they're not prepared to do the work that we've done to make this possible for the next lot. Don't just piss it in the wind and go, well, this is what I, I, I'm owed and I deserve. Yeah, you do, but you still have to work for the next lot coming through, as do now all of the industry, for everybody coming through, in all the reasons that um, that make our industry great. And uh, I don't know if that made sense at the end there, but but I, I hope that we, we're, we're going to go full circle and, and, and find a way that we can progress forward without it always being discussed as a as an issue. Mm-hmm. I don't know when that's going to happen. My, my dream is that we don't talk about diverse casting and people of colour and we just we just do it. Just, you know, it's yes, just a thing. Yes, that's what I've been saying. Stop asking me for your brownie points and the pats on the back. Just fucking do it. Sorry. But it's it's a long it's still that's still that's still a work in progress and it's still a long time coming. I know, I know. And on the other side of that coin, the fact that we do still talk about it means that we're still thinking about it, which is also good because it's in the forefront of people's minds. It would be lovely one day that we don't have to discuss it and it's just a it's just a pool of people, all people from all different backgrounds, and that we're just in the same industry and we just get the job because you get the job and that's the way it goes. But then there are pieces that are written for certain cultures and, and that's also important stories to tell. So we're still gonna to need to discuss those those moments as well. So yeah, it's a it's a it's a tricky one. I don't know if my answer was was clear at all or helpful, but yeah. I think that was great. It was very clear. And I agree. You know, I hope we do get to that point where it is just casting. Casting is casting is casting and you're acting and you're playing a character unless, as you said, there's a specific reason. Like if we are t- telling a specific cultural story. Yeah. So. Now, a fun one to end, and this is for both of you. When was the last time you had your face painted and were you a tiger, a pirate or a fairy? For fun, not for work. <laughs> <laughs> a tiger, a pirate, or a fairy? I think I was a tiger, and I reckon it was my son's third birthday. And we had my rock band also played on our deck, and we dressed up as a band called the Giggles because we couldn't giggle with yep. And we did, <laughs> and we covered all the wiggle songs <laughs> for all the kids <laughs> in the screen. <laughs> oh, wonderful. And you can see that video on our social media, folks. <laughs> At Simon, when was the last time? You had well, your I can't remember what episode, but I'm sure I've done all of them on oh, both yes, <laughs> yeah. um... But unfortunately, no, not 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 in my in my private. Oh my god, we have to change that, people. After next time you're with Simon and you're drunk, you got face paint in your purse. Please <laughs> do us a favor. Don't do. Sorry, sure. No, don't leave the poor guy alone. Goodness me, don't listen to me. I am not an influencer. I do not influence anything. Anyways, gentlemen and Asabi, thank you so much for coming back onto this crazy show and sitting and chatting this industry with me again. And music, it is an honor like you would not believe. Just a podcast, but still, and you're just people, but still, it's you know, it's it's an honor. And it's, oh, it's a pleasure to be here, mate. Thanks for having us back. Yeah, I really appreciate it, Aaron. So great to meet you, Sabi, too. Lovely to meet you, Sabi. <laughs> Good luck on the rest of the running. Congratulations, and you did brilliant. Loved it. So thank you for having me. And you can book tickets to Moulin Rouge the musical for its encore season in Melbourne, which means it's leaving on February fourth, never to be seen again. Although hopefully it'll come back in the future. So you can buy those tickets at moulinrougemusical.com forward slash Australia.
And the show is also running on Broadway, West End, Seoul, Osaka, I believe, or possibly still in Tokyo, then on Osaka, which one of the Japanese cast members joined the Melbourne cast recently, so congratulations to them. So that was pretty awesome. Uh, But it's also running in Cologne, I believe. It's touring North America. Check the website for details, because it will soon be coming to a theatre near you. Be sure to get tickets. Be sure to take somebody who has never been to the theatre before, because it will blow them away. It really, really will, and hopefully they'll then buy a ticket to another show. Alrighty, I'm going to try to be quick this week because I'm very, very tired and the family are watching Jeopardy out in the lounge room, which means they are not answering questions correctly and my eye is twitching for that reason. Anyways, a huge, huge thank you to Simon and Bert for joining us again. It is always such an honour. It is an honour watching you perform and it's been an honour being inspired by you guys and to have you on my show is always not i'm so filled with gratitude i could say thank you a thousand times so there's another one and also peach and pineapple you ladies are absolutely amazing at what you do i'm in awe i have been learning from you from a distance and been able to apply what i've learned in my own dealings with other pr firms here there and everywhere and it's working out so thank you so so much for seeing us as well And also to Asabi, thank you for joining me as my co-host. Please join us again. It was so much fun and might put you on an episode with Matt one time or even Spencer because that would be pretty funny because he is a child. And also, speaking of which, thank you, Spencer, for being my understudy this week. It's a long story for the people at home, but Spencer was actually off camera, on mute, silently, patiently waiting for his name to be called just in case he needed to take the baton. Find your yourself a teammate partner in crime that you can rely on as much as that because that was an amazing thing to do also happy birthday simon goodness gracious me this episode was recorded four days ago and his birthday was two days ago and i just simply could not get it up in time two days late is not really qualifying as a birthday present but here is a birthday present thank you so so much i wish you all the best in finding that next challenging endeavor and I still want to write it. Anyways, you can find Simon on the socials in the details below in the description, Bert in the details below in the description, Asabi in the details below in the description, and us in the details below in the description. But anyways, that's it from us. Thank you so, so much for listening. It is a joy making this show, as always. You take care, look after yourselves, and we shall see you next time. Chickies. Uh-huh. Thanks, Spencer. Thanks, Spencer. Bye, Spencer. Like, like,